great to be here tonight. What a wonderful place to be. I, I told my wife, you're driving into Ohio. I, I, I looked at this place. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You have flowers. You have water that falls out of the sky. It's like 75 degrees all the time around here. What is that? I mean, I, I think I used to say when you, if you're a Christian, you die and go to heaven. I think now you're a Christian, you die and go to Ohio. I mean, this is just an amazing place that you have here. I, I went over to the pastor's house, and man, you go through that tunnel of trees, and, and you're just, there it is. You're, wow, this is a great, great place to be. We're so thankful for the privilege of being able to be with you. Uh, I'm, my name is Dave Tice. My wife in the back is Anna. And uh, she married me 46 years ago. By the grace of God, she stayed with me for the last 46 years. We got married. Uh, we just got right out of Bible college, um, and we went to Las Vegas. Uh, we started the church when we were two. Now we are uh, in our, we actually, we were uh, 22 years old. Uh, we just gra graduated from Bible college, went, to, uh, went out and just started knocking on doors and asking people, to uh, come to church, and uh, God just blessed over the years. Uh, I was born and raised in Las Vegas. My dad, my dad was an immigrant from. Oh, I'm supposed to turn this thing on. Am I not? Yes. Uh, green. My dad was an immigrant from Lebanon. Uh, when he when he was 11 years old, his dad got killed in World War One or World War One, and he left. Uh, he, he, he was left, his mother died that same year. He was left as an 11-year-old to raise uh, his brother and his sister. He tried to do that until he was 13 years old. He couldn't do it. Uh, he recognized that. And at 13 years old, he, he, uh, one of their relatives took his little sister and moved to Australia. And so she was gone. His other brother, he left with one of the family members there in um, in Lebanon, and he got on an Italian freighter. I don't know how he did that. I don't know whether it was legal or illegal, but he made his way to the United States uh, where he was uh, at 13 years of old and raised himself, I believe, on the streets of New York City and uh, just grew up uh, there, lived quite a, a wicked life. My, my mother was raised in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and uh, my dad met her when she was 19 years old, wanted to marry uh, her when he, when when he met her, she wasn't interested in him, and so she went left and met, married somebody else. Uh, Sixteen years later, she was in a terrible divorce, a, a, a terrible uh, situation. Her husband was abusive. Uh, he was a drunk. I uh, came home and beat her, and, and came and said to um, said to her that he was going to. Uh, uh, he was going to throw acid in my, my siblings, my older siblings' uh, face and just uh, hurt them so that they could never, nobody else would want them. And so she was fe feeling in a threatened situation. My dad, uh, who had been married and divorced a couple of times, decided uh, he wanted to check to see whether this girl that he had met uh, 19 or several years before uh, was still available. And she, uh, she, he went to see my grandfather. My grandfather said, no, she's married. Uh, she's living in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And, and uh, he said, oh, if she's happily married, I don't want to see her. And she's, he's, my grandfather said, no, she's not happily married. And so my dad, uh, back in 1950, uh, snuck over to the eastern part of Pennsylvania, picked up my mother and moved uh, her and her family uh, and my older brothers and sisters and moved them uh, to Las Vegas, Nevada, because that's the only place you could get a quick divorce uh, back then. And uh, so people ask, you must come from a real stable background. I just want you to know where I come from. And so, uh, so they quickly moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, where you could get a, a quick divorce after six weeks. You had to live in separate domiciles back then. If you didn't, you'd get arrested and thrown in jail. And uh, uh, so they lived in separate domiciles for six weeks. That was the law in Las Vegas. And then after, after six weeks, they could get a divorce and then remarry each other. And that was back in 1950 or 1951. Uh, it was uh, then... After that, my brother came along and my sister came along, and then in 1955, I came along. So people say, how did you wind up in Las Vegas? That's how I wound up in Las Vegas. I was born and raised in Las Vegas uh, in Sin City. Uh, it wasn't quite as big as it is now. We have two million people in Las Vegas um, now. Back then, uh, there was about 79,000 people there. Uh, it has grown uh, over the years. Uh, we have seen a lot of people come and go. We have... Uh, 
uh, when I was a teenager, I grew up, my mother took me to church. My dad and mom, by the way, got saved. Isn't it wonderful that God can save uh, anyone from any situation? He can change lives. My dad, I, every day when I woke up as a little boy, I watched my dad kneel and pray. I watched him uh, I watched him read this Bible every morning. We weren't allowed to get out of bed until a certain time because my dad was having personal devotions uh, with the Lord. Uh, they, uh, he grew up, but when I was 10 years old, uh, he died. I, they had me in church, and I went to church all my life, but nobody ever told me how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. Even though they had me in church, and the preachers were saved, I'm sure, they, uh, either I wasn't listening or nobody ever clearly told me how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to trust Christ, but nobody ever told me. When I finally learned about how a person can absolutely know for sure they're going to heaven, when I learned that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, and he came to this earth to suffer and die, to pay for our sins, that he was buried, that three days later he rose from the dead. He was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. We know it's not a myth because these hundreds of eyewitnesses were willing to die for what they saw. People aren't willing to die for something they know is a lie. They knew that Jesus had died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. They went everywhere telling people about that. And then he went back to heaven. Now the Bible says the only way I can get to heaven is by coming to Jesus, admitting that I'm a sinner, recognize the fact that I never will deserve to go to heaven, but that he died for me, he was buried, he rose from the dead for me, and all I have to do is call on him and ask him to save me. Well, that tremendous news impacted my life, and I wanted everybody in Las Vegas to know about that. So when I came to that realization, God called me to go back to my hometown and start uh, Liberty Baptist Church. And so, so uh, uh, 46 years ago, after graduating from college as a 22-year-old kid, I went back to Las Vegas, just started knocking on doors, and God has blessed in a wonderful way. God allowed us to raise a family in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have five children by birth and five children by marriage. We now have 10 children and 19 grandchildren. And I know you're looking at me and saying, how can somebody as young as you have 19 grandchildren? God works in miraculous ways. And, uh, and so uh, we have 19 grandchildren. I praise the Lord that in his mercy and in his grace, they're serving the Lord. And we, uh, God has allowed us to see some great things happen in Las Vegas, Nevada. You say, well, have, has, have you won all of Las Vegas to Christ? We have an evangelist friend named David Young. David Young has a son named Matthew Young. And I have a son named Matthew. My oldest son is named Matthew. When, when David Young's son, Matthew, was eight years old, him and his son, Matthew, came out to Las Vegas to, to preach for us. Um, David was going to preach. Matthew was going to listen. And, uh, and my son, Matthew, went to the airport to pick him up in a van. When he got there, when they got there in the van to pick up um, uh, to, when Matthew got there to pick them up, they were driving out of the airport. Now, when you drive out of the airport in Las Vegas, there's billboards that are not heavily influenced by Christian thought. Uh, there, are, uh, there are billboards that shouldn't be there. I mean, there's things on there that are inappropriate. Well, David Young has taught his son properly that if, if there's somebody on a billboard or something that you see that has a girl that's dressed inappropriately, he's to bounce his eyes off that and look in a different direction. And so Matthew, where they were pulling out of, of the Las Vegas airport, and there's a long driveway that circles around, and Matthew would look off to the right, and he saw, man, there was a bad billboard. So he turned his head, and he looked to the left, and man, there was another bad billboard. And, and then he turned around and looked the other way, and there was another bad billboard. Pretty soon he covered his eyes, and he said, Dad, why did you bring me to this place? There's nothing but bad stuff here. Why, did you, why would you bring me to this place? And uh, and my son, Matthew, immediately said, well, that's why we're here. We're here to tell these people about Jesus. We're here in this place where people don't know about Jesus, and they don't know how they're supposed to act, and they don't know what they're supposed to do. And so they don't live right, but we're here to tell them about Jesus. And when they get saved, they change, and they don't do those bad things. And Matthew thought, oh, okay, that sounds pretty good. But they were driving down the road a little bit farther, and there's another billboard and another billboard. And finally, Matthew reached up to his dad and said, Dad, they're not doing a very good job. So we've been in Las Vegas for 46 years not doing a very good job. And, uh, but we're glad that God has put us there. And he's put us in Las Vegas to represent him just like he's placed you here to represent him. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 this evening. And, and 
I thank the Lord for this ministry. It's amazing. I just, it's amazing what God is doing here. It's amazing what God's given you. It's amazing this place and, and, and the life that's in this church. We are in big churches and we are in small churches. And numbers don't, I, I believe, impress God. But I, I do know, believe this, that that God loves a church where there's life. And you can walk into a room, you can walk into a church and you know that there's no life. Or you can walk into a church like this tonight and you can say, wow, there's life. There's excitement. There's people that are excited about the things of God. The Bible tells us that a church, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. That the, the city that you live in, the state that you live in should be able to look at your church and say, wow, if I wanna know what God thinks, I, should, I can go to that church, and that church will tell us what God thinks. We are, to hear, we are here to represent God. We are here to represent God not just as a church, but as individuals. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and you've heard this before, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself. Now listen, God says when you get saved, boom, you become a new creature in Christ. When you ask Jesus to save you, here's, what the, here's, here's the picture. When you, when you ask Jesus to save you, you had a body and soul, but your spirit, according to Ephesians 2, 9, was, or 2, 1, was dead. You're spiritually dead. You're separated from God. No way you can get to heaven. No way you can communicate with God. You're a body and a soul and a dead spirit. But you ask Jesus to save you, and Jesus says to the Father, Father, would you send my, my Holy Spirit to go and fill them? And God the Father sends the Holy Spirit to come into your body and your dead spirit becomes alive and the Holy Spirit, the eternal Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you and you have been given now eternal life, life that can never die because God lives inside of you. You've been made new. You are a new creation. Now you can do what God created you to do in the first place. What did God man, create man to do in the first place? After God had created the entire world, God, uh, God after the whole physical universe, God said, hey, let's have, an, let's have we, we need to create something that is in our image, in our likeness, so the, so the physical universe can see what we are like. So he created man in his image and in his likeness. He created Adam to represent him, but Adam blew it, became spiritually dead, couldn't do that. But when Jesus came, he made us new creatures, and when he made us new creatures, he made us able to represent him again. So the Bible tells us here in this passage that when you became, when you became a Christian, you were, you were made a new creature, you became spiritually alive, and now you have the ability to represent Christ. You say, where do you get that? In verse 20 of 2 Corinthians uh, 5, uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, just a few verses later, it says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We now are spiritually alive, and we are here to represent Jesus Christ. Our whole purpose for existence now is to represent Jesus Christ. The reason you are on this planet isn't to have fun, isn't to make money, isn't to, uh, uh, isn't to be popular. It's none of those reasons. Now, it's, none of those things are bad, but you're not here for those things. You are here to represent Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. That's why you live where you live. That's why you work where you work. That's why you're in the neighborhood that you're in. That's why you're Wherever you go, where you go to the store, wherever you go, God sends you to represent him. That is your purpose for existence. That's my purpose for existence. That's the purpose of this church. But not only that, listen, that's the purpose of the family. That's the reason God established the family. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, the Bible says, for this cause... And this is a quote from Genesis. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, look, your marriage is to represent Christ and the church. The world's supposed to look at your marriage. This world's supposed to be able to look at your family and say, wow, that's a picture of heaven. Wow, that's a picture of the way Christ loves the church. The world's supposed to look at you as a husband and say, wow, he loves his wife the way Christ loves the church. He's, uh, the, the world's supposed to look at you as a wife and say, wow, she submits to her husband the way Christ submitted to God and redeemed the church. Man, it's a, our picture, the marriage picture is a picture of Christ 
and the church. It is, it is a way of representing God. However, there's a problem. Because a lot of marriages aren't doing that. And you know the struggles that you face. And you know the struggles some of your friends face. And you know that there's problems in marriage. There's problems. We're talking about building a kingdom family this weekend. And why do you title it kingdom family? Because the world is redefining the family, isn't it? It's saying that a family can be a man and a man and a woman and a, a, a woman. And it can, it can be, uh, there's a guy out in Utah named Warren Jeffs who says a, a, a man can, a, 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 a family can be one man and multiple wives with multiple children. There's, there, the world is redefining the family. But God has a, a, a picture for the family. God says here is what a family should be. And he gives us, and he defines the family. He defines marriage. And he tells us what the family should be. And we'll look at that in more detail. But here's the problem. There's problems. It's the marriages aren't turning out the way we think they should be. They're, they're, they tell us today that in evangelical Christendom, that we have a 50% divorce rate amongst Christians in the American culture. That's an amazing thing. You say, why? Well, maybe, it's, maybe you feel like the one wife that went in to see her counselor, and she went in there and she said, listen, when I got married, I wanted the ideal, but I got an ordeal. Now I want a new deal. That kind of thing is going on. I, years ago, I took my son, Matthew. He was only about five years old, maybe four years old. I took him to uh, space to, uh, to Disneyland. At Disneyland in California, it's only about four hours away from us, and we used to go there like twice a year. Once we would go uh, with, a, with the youth group, uh, because when you're starting a church from scratch, you are the pastor, you are the youth pastor, you're the music director, you're the janitor, you even are nursery director, and uh, you're, you just do everything. And so as the youth director of our church, I would take the youth every year to Disneyland because it was an easy activity. you just get in the car and you drive there, and then once a year we would go as a family. Well, I took the, I took the kids uh, uh, one time while... With, with the entire youth department, we went to Disneyland. We were going all over Disneyland, and all the kids said, hey, let's go ride this ride called Space Mountain. A Space Mountain is a high-speed roller coaster that's in the dark. I mean, it is, it is pitch black, except for the stars and the constellations and the moons and all the things that are, that are shining up on the wall. But other than that, it's, it's dark, it's, it's high-speed, it's up and down. So the teenagers wanted to go on the ride, and I said, okay, let's go on the ride. Well, we got there, and Matthew got up there to, to go on the ride, and they said, first we have to see how tall you are. And so they tested out his height, and, and he, they said, oh, we're sorry, you can't ride because you're, you're not tall enough. He said, I'm not tall enough. I want to be tall enough. They, they said, too bad, you can't ride, and so he couldn't ride. Well, Matt, that really bothered Matt. And so on the way home, Matt said, when can I ride? I said, well, you have to either be 46 inches or 48 inches. He said, well, I went, can you let me know when I'm big enough? I said, okay. We got home between our kitchen wall and the dining room wall. Between the kitchen and the dining room, there was a wall, and there was a, there was a place on there that we, we marked his height. We marked 46 inches so we would know when he reached that height. And so every day he would check. I forgot all about it, but every day he would check. One day, I, I was in, I, my office was in the back room. He comes running in my office. He said, Dad, I'm big enough. I'm big enough. I'm big enough. I said, for what? He said, I'm big enough. I'm big enough. I said, for what? He said, to ride Space Mountain. I said, oh, really? Let's, let's go. So I got up, walked out there, checked him, and sure enough, he met the mark. He was able to ride Space Mountain. And I thought, okay, that's great. He said, Dad, when are we going to go? When are we going to go? When are we going to go? And I heard that over and over and over again. Finally, I said, oh, that's enough. Let's go. And we, uh, we, we scheduled it. What we would do is we would leave on Sunday night after church, and we would drive four hours there because Monday we would spend Monday with our family. Uh, we, we, we got there Monday night, or we'd get there Sunday night late, and I had a friend who had a church 
uh, not far in Ontario, California, not far from Disneyland, about 45 minutes from Disneyland, and we would go there and we'd spend the night in, in the church, we'd sleep on the pews. They'd say, you, you might say, why would you sleep on the pews? Because I'm cheap uh, and it's free. And so we went, we went there and we'd sleep on the pews, we'd get up the next morning and we drove, we, we, we drove to Disneyland. And when we got there, I mean, all the way there, he's saying, can we ride Space Mountain first? Can we ride Space Mountain first? Can we ride Space Mountain first? I said, yeah, we can ride Space Mountain. We, we, got, we got to Disneyland, parked the car, got right in through the turnstiles into Disneyland. He said, Dad, can we ride Space Mountain? And we had heard it enough to where I looked at my wife and I said, can I just take him right now and ride Space Mountain? She said, please do. And so I grabbed his hand, and we went running all the way down Main Street in Disneyland. We got to the end of Main Street, made a sharp right turn, if you've ever been there, uh, to, to, into Tomorrowland. And we went around a couple of buildings until we were right there in Space Mountain. And, 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 I, and uh, I said, would you test him? We were the first people there. Uh, would you t see how, if he's tall enough? And Sure enough, the man said he's tall enough. And we went running up. There were going to be people standing in line for an hour and a half or two hours in just a, in just a few minutes. And what we were going to do is get through there. And we ran through where all the people were going to be standing in line back and forth through all the chains. And we got inside. We, we went back and forth through the tunnels until we got inside the big auditorium. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we got inside this big auditorium. And it was boom, 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 boom. There was this noise. You thought, Wow. It was like a sound tunnel, like, and, and, we, and Matthew just stopped in his tracks and looked around. And then we walked down, and we got inside the rocket ships, and uh, th we were the first ones in line. We sat, we, uh, he, he came in, he sat down to, on my right-hand side. I sat down here, and the handbars went down. Pretty soon, other people started coming in, and they, they're filling up, and people are saying, yes, oh, this is exciting, yes, yes, this is great, oh, yeah. And, and Matthew's not saying a word. He's just sitting there looking around. I said, I said, Matt, this is exciting. Not a word. And people are screaming and hollering. Pretty soon everybody's filled up. And there's a guy in a, in a window in, the, uh, in front of us. And he puts his thumb up like that. And that mean, meant we were about to take off. And that thing shot up. Vroom, went right up to that window and stopped. Then it made a sharp right-hand turn. People are excited. And it starts going up. And as it's going up, lights are flashing. Vroom, 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 vroom. And there's noise and there's lights and you can see the galaxies ahead of you. And people are screaming in back. There's not a word coming from this side of my rocket ship. We get up there, we're flying through. We, we, we went through asteroids, everything, it was dark. People were screaming, everything was crazy. We came to the last turn and it came to a stop and made a right turn. And, 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 and then the lights went on again. Vroom, 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 vroom. And we stopped. And the handbars went up. And I looked over at Matthew. And I said, well, Matt, how did you like Space Mountain? And he looked up at me and said, I would never take my child on a ride like that. <laughs> I think sometimes when people get married, they look up at God and say, God, what kind of ride have you put me on? What is this all about? What kind of crazy, th I did not know it was going to be like this. I didn't know it was going to be all about me serving. I didn't know it was going to be all about me doing. I thought it was all about me having fun the rest of my life, uh, enjoying this person. And, and, and we, we, we want something different than what we have or what we anticipated isn't exactly what it turned out to be. And so I think it's important that we understand what God says about marriage. So number one, I want you to see here the basic plan of marriage. The basic plan of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God lays it out. I think it's so amazing that God takes care of this in the first, or in the first book and the second chapter of that book. He lays out exactly what marriage is supposed to be. He says this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. That is, he looks at everything that's been going on, everything that's going on. He, he's created everything and he says, it's good, and that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that he sees this man alone. And he says this, he needs help. That boy needs help. That boy needs somebody that's gonna help him through this situation. And so the Bible says he creates woman. 
The Bible says this, therefore shall a man, he says, I'm going to make him a help meet. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. God says, here's the plan. It's not good that man should be alone. So I'm going to make him a woman. And, and they will be together, and they will be one flesh. So what is God's basic plan? God's basic plan for the family is one man serving one woman for one lifetime. One man serving one woman for one lifetime. God makes that clear. In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, hey, is it, can, can we divorce our, our wives for any reason? Jesus said, no. Uh, God said, God created one man for one woman. And they have this great debate with him. But Jesus says, go back to the very beginning. God didn't create it so that you could marry and divorce and marry and divorce. God allowed it through Moses. But God said, hey, the plan is one man serving one woman for one lifetime. When I say that, many men say, what do you mean serving one woman? Well, we'll get in that tomorrow morning and you'll, you'll see what the Bible says. But number one, we got to understand the basic plan. It's not one man and one man. It's not one woman and one woman. It's not one man and multiple women. It's not one man and a dog. Uh, it's not one man and anything else. It's one man serving one woman for one lifetime. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. Since he came up with the idea of the family, I think his plan is the best plan. If you agree with that, say amen. Okay, so, so the basic plan, that we, we need to know that. Number two... We need to understand that even though that's the basic plan, there is a basic problem. There's a basic problem. Now, what is the problem? What's the problem? Well, the Bible says this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. We're going to be living in perilous times in the last days. Well, when do those last days get here? Well, those last days are here. Those last days are here, these last times. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, the Bible tells us when the last days started. In, in, in Acts chapter 2, people were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and they were doing strange things. And, and Peter had to stand up and explain, look, these people are not drunk like you think. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These people are Baptists. They don't get drunk that early. And so he makes it very clear. He says, he says but, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Those times, these last days, these perilous times that, that, that Paul tells us about, and he, he writes to Timothy about, those perilous times are here. And they've been here for the last 2,000 years. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says this. It says, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's, they're selfish and self-centered. They're covetous. They want what they want. They're boasters. They brag about what they've done. Look what I've done. You get two or three men together talking about, I don't know if hunting's a big thing out here, but uh, you get two or three hunters together. One guy says, yeah, I got this. I was, man, I took a beat. And he's starting to tell about who, this, this deer that he got. And the other two guys are not listening to a thing he's saying. They just want him to be quiet so they can tell about their guy uh, and who they got. And they're just waiting. Uh, or if you like cars, there's, there's guys who just love talking about cars. And they, talk, they start talking about their car. And somebody else is talking. And they're just waiting. They're not listening because they want to boast about what they've done. They're boasters. They're proud. Blasphemers. That means they, they, they speak evil of other people. It's so easy to speak evil about people disobedient to parents that is they lack respect for authority parents are the first authorities God puts us in our, puts in our lives and and the, the, in the last days they're going to be disobedient to parents there's going to be no respect for authority unthankful boy do we live in a time of unthankfulness man people complain about the fact they don't have uh, they, their second car broke down or this happened or that happened and we forget to thank God for all the good things he's given unholy we live in an unholy time where wicked things are 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 pushed uh, 
night after night on the television and, and through movies and through all sorts of stuff in the internet without natural affections, immorality. You have the LGBTQ culture being pushed on us, truce breakers. They say they're going to do something and then they lie. False accusers, incontinent. That means they lack self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. God says, hey, in the last days, this is what it's going to be like. Now, I say all that to say this. You need to understand when he says men shall be this way, the word men is, comes from a word, it's a word, it's a Greek word, anthropos, and it means mankind. So you ladies aren't out of here. You can't say, well, yeah, that's exactly the way those men are. Uh, no, that's talking about mankind. That's talking about all of us. That's talking about the way we are. Now, understand this. What I'm saying to you is this. He's saying that in the last days, this is what you are going to be like. Me? Yes. We're talking about you. We're, this is what you are like, selfish. This is what you are like, covetous. This is the way you are like, boasters. This is the way you are. You are proud. This is the way you are. You're blasphemers. Not me. This is the way you are. This is what the Bible says mankind is going to be like. This is the way you and me are. That's the way we are. That's Talking not about the person sitting next to you, though it is talking about the person sitting next to you, but God wants you to take this personal. He's talking about you. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers. Wow. See, the Bible says this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do this. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. That was pretty easy, wasn't it? Okay. Now, say this out loud. I am a sinner. Say that. I am a sinner. You're not very enthusiastic about that. Let's get, let, let's get honest. Okay, let's say, it, let's say it with some enthusiasm. I am a sinner. Let's say it this way. I sin. Let's say that. I sin. Whew, that's true. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us sin. Now, we're saved, but we've, we still sin. And that's the problem. That's the problem. See, here's what God, this is how God describes you. Not the person sitting next to you, but you. And here's the other problem. The problem is you're sitting in a room full of people who are all that way. Without God controlling you, that's exactly what you are. Because you're living in these last days, and that's what God said mankind is going to be like. Man, it's terrible. When two people from this society get married, they bring these attitudes and actions into the marriage relationship. When Anna and I got married, according to this, there was one selfish, self-centered sinner marrying another self-centered, selfish sinner. There's the deal. Both of us. And then we got married. And we produced five more just like us. That's a, that's a hard thing. When seven self-centered, selfish people are all living in the same house. And you had six, pastor. It's tough. When you have, you have, you have these kind of people all living together in the same house. Any marriage in this present age is basically the union of two self-centered people, and this is always going to cause problems. That's why we have problems. Now, some of you are thinking, this doesn't apply to me. You don't know how much I give in our marriage. You don't know the, what I do. You don't know the sacrifices that I make. I am not that way. And the reason you say that is because you're filled with pride. You say, how do you know that? Because Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10 says, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. The Bible says the reason you can't admit that you're like this is because you're filled with pride. You say, well, my heart tells me that I'm right. Well, the Bible says your heart is wicked. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, you say, you, you, you think you're right. You, you, you th I am right. I know I'm right. 
the Bible says you, you think you're right when you're not. Proverbs 16 and verse 25 says, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. A wife will say to me, my husband thinks he's right about everything. Of course he does. You always think you're right. That's the way it is. Proverbs 21, 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. That's why we think it's everybody else's problem. It's everybody else's fault in this marriage, in this family. It's not my fault. I'm not the problem. Everybody else is a problem. I had a man say to me one time, he'd been married and divorced six times. I went to, his, I went to, to see him. He was staying at his sister's house. And I went back. I'd known him all my life, and I went to see him. He said, David, I need to talk to you. He said, I, he said I, I'm really, he said, my wife just tried to kill me. He said, uh, he said, this is my sixth marriage. He said, I'm beginning to think it might be me. <laughs> I thought, well, good. I'm glad you're beginning to think. The fact of the matter is we are the problem. See, the problem in marriage is this. The problem in your family is this. The problem in the family is you. And when I come to the realization the problem in my family is me, it really begins to help me fix things in my family. See, you live in a flesh that's wicked. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says this, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand. There's none that seek after God. They're all gone out of the, the way. They're together become unprofitable. You know who that's describing? You. It's describing me. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the ways of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. He said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Paul said this. This is the apostle Paul. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Let me give you this statement. There are marital conflicts because it's, too, because it's hard for two people who sin to live together. You see, here's the deal. I have to come to the realization that the problem in my family is me. James chapter four and verses one and two says this, just to confirm this, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Why do you fight with your wife? Why do you fight with your husband? Why do you fight with your parents? Why do you fight with your children? Here's the reason. The Bible says, from whence do these wars and fightings come among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members. The basic problem in your family is you. The basic problem in my family is me. Let's say this together. The basic problem in my family is me. Let's say that. The basic problem in my family is me. Now, you're not enthusiastic about this. It's like, it's like you really don't believe this. So let's try it one more time with some enthusiasm. The basic problem in my family is me. Now you're getting into it. You're understanding this. That's what the Bible says. Let's say it one more time like, like we believe it. The basic problem in my family is me. If we understand that, then, and if you understand that, then you'll understand that God isn't wanting to work in everybody else's life. You're not here to let God work in everybody else's life. You didn't bring your husband so God would work in his life, and you didn't bring your wife so God would work in, in, uh, in her life. God brought you here so he could work in your life. And we need to understand that the basic problem in the marriage is me. So what's the solution? What's the basic solution? The solution to the sin problem and the destruction it brings is very simple. All we have to do is eliminate sin. But that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until the rapture. In, second, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible talks about the rapture. And the Bible says when the rapture takes place, this mortal will take on immortality. When this corruption will take on incorruption. Until then, 
According to Romans 8 and verse 23, you live in a body that wants to sin. You live in a body that's not redeemed. And so you've got to get this body under control, but you can't control it yourself. But it can be controlled. It can be controlled by a daily surrender of our lives to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea of being filled with the Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to control you like the drunk allows liquor to control him. Now, in order for you to be controlled by wine, you have to first get a wine bottle. Then you have to uncork the wine bottle. Then you have to start drinking the wine. Now, I'm not speaking from experience, uh, but you have to drink the wine. You drink the wine, you drink the wine, you drink the wine, and the more you drink, the more it controls you. It controls your speech, it controls your actions, it controls how you walk, it controls where you go, it controls what you think. The more you drink, and listen, in order for it to continue to control you, you have to keep taking it and keep drinking it and keep drinking it. And if you keep drinking it, then it'll continue to control you. The problem is most Christians do not realize that who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in our lives. Several years ago, in fact, 11 years ago, our church for our 35th anniversary decided to do something nice for my wife and I and they were gonna send us away to uh, New York City and then we were gonna take a boat trip from New York City uh, up to Nova Scotia and they paid for the whole thing. Why is it when they wanna do something nice for a pastor, they send him away? Uh, but so they, they, decided to send, they decided to send us away and so they, they, they put together this package, they surprised us with it and they presented it to us on our 35th anniversary as a church. I thought it was so nice. The problem was two weeks before, I had just sent in to renew my uh, visa or my passports. My passports had expired and I didn't have a passport. So I couldn't get up to Nova Scotia because my passports, uh, my passports were expired. I could, have, I could have two weeks before expedited them. But to expedite it and get it back in two weeks, you have to pay $150 a person. And... Remember the story about Disneyland? I'm cheap. And so I wasn't going to send in, I was going to send, I said, I'm not going to go out, of, I'm not going out of the country for six or eight months. I'm not going to send in my, uh, I'm not going to send 150 bucks, no, no way. And, and uh, so now I've got these tickets to go to Nova Scotia from New York Harbor and I have no way uh, I, I don't have any passport. So I call up the cruise line and I say, hey, is there any way I can go up there without a passport? And they said, well, listen, do you have birth certificates? I said, yeah. They said, do you have Nevada driver's license? I said, yes. They said, do you have your marriage license? They said, yes. I said, yes. They said, okay, if you bring those three things, we can get you on board. I said, great. So we got all this stuff together, flew across the United States, got to New York, spent the night in New York City, had a nice dinner in New York City that night, got, went out to the to, the, uh, to New York Harbor, uh, went to, stood in line to get on the boat, handed him all of our paperwork, and uh, the man said, well, she can go, but you're, you can't go. I said, why? They said, your, your birth certificate isn't certified. I said, yeah, it is. It's got a big certified thing there. They said, that's certified by the hospital. It's not state certified. You can't get on the boat. I, we tried for about an hour and a half and realized I was, we weren't, we weren't going on the boat. And they got... They got everything ready, and then we watched. We were sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. And it went, and it left us there uh, on, the, uh, on the boat. And I thought, what are we going to do? So we're in, we're on New York Harbor. What are we going to do for the next week? I've spent a week in New York City. I never want to ever do that again. Why risk a person's life? And so I want to get out of New York City, and I say to my wife, what are we going to do? And, and, and then I thought, you know what? Her mother lives four and a half hours away from us in, uh, in New York City uh, in western Pennsylvania. What I'll do is I'll just get a, rent a car here on, at New York Harbor and we'll just drive up there and we'll have a great time seeing her mother, which was very providential because we did not know that the following May her mother was going to go to heaven and this was going to be the last time we were going to be able to see her. So God was in control of all that. And, but, but now I'm, I'm in New York Harbor and I rent the car and then I, it hits me. In order to get to Interstate 80 
from, from New York City, I have to drive right down Manhattan. I have to drive right through the middle of New York City. Man, I don't want to do that. But I'm in the car now. I've rented the car. I've got to do it. So we get in the car, and we're driving back and forth. And man, there's tension. And I, I mean, I'm getting off on the wrong way. And I'm back and forth, and we're trying to follow the map. And finally, after an hour and a half or two hours of trying to get through New York, we got through New York City. We got up on Interstate 80. We're heading west on Interstate 80. And there was some tension, and I'm, I'm finally calming down, and I'm feeling okay. And then it hit me. I'm in a brand new car. Look at all this neat stuff here. And I start, look, I said, look at these buttons. Look at this sound system. I'm going to, I'm going to, and, and my wife said, honey, please don't touch anything. You break things. And I, I, I said, I said, no, I, I just want to, so I'm playing with the sound system down here. I'm playing with all the buttons I could down here. And finally, um, I was finished with that and I'm still driving. And I look up on the mirror, on the mirror, there are four buttons. And I thought, hey, well, this is probably one of those mirrors where you push the button and it does like a transformer thing and, and adjusts and it's going to be a cool thing. And so I thought, I pushed the first button and nothing happened. And, and I, I thought, I pushed the but, second button and nothing happened. I pushed the third button and all of a sudden the whole car starts dinging. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, all around. It's ding, 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 ding. And, I, and, I'm, and Anna's looking at me like I told you. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 I, and then, uh, then we hear a voice. Hi there. This is Jennifer with OnStar. Can I help you? And I said, Jennifer. And Anna starts laughing. And she, I said, Jennifer, where are you? It sounds like you're in the back seat. Are you in the trunk? Where are you? She said, oh, no, I'm in Ontario, Canada. I said, you're in Ontario, Canada? She said, yes. She said, uh, she said I said, do you know where we are? She said, yes, you're on Interstate 80 at mile marker. Uh, and you're heading, you're heading west. Uh, what can, how can I help you? I said, tell me what OnStar is. She said, oh, we're here to help you. If you, if you lock yourself out of the car, we'll get you back in. If, if you break down, we'll call somebody to help you. But basically, she said, we're here to give you direction. I said, what do you mean? She said, you just tell us where you want to go, and we'll get you there. We'll plug it into our computer, and wherever you go, uh, where, where, if, you, if you get off track, it'll say, uh, as soon as possible, make a legal U-turn. They knew who was driving. And, uh, and you'll get back on track. And, and so you won't, be, you won't get lost. You'll, you'll, we'll get you to your destination. I said, well, that's wonderful. And so I gave her the thing, and sure enough, it worked. And Jennifer hung up, and we're driving down the road, and then it hit me. Wow. I had OnStar back at New York Harbor. But I didn't know I had OnStar. If I had, if I'd have known that I had OnStar back at New York Harbor, on, I would have, I could have pushed OnStar, and if I would have submitted to OnStar, I could have gotten through New York City without getting off track at all. But there was a problem. I didn't know I had OnStar, and number two, I didn't submit to OnStar. Here's the deal: when you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you. See, you are by nature selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, boasters, proud, evil, covetous, all those things. But when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Oftentimes Christians, oftentimes Christians think, I can't live this life. You can't. Living the Christian life is humanly impossible. But God saved you and he placed within you the Holy Spirit. So you can be the right type of husband, you can be the right type of father, you can be the right type of wife, you can be the right type of mother, you can be the right type of child, you can be the right type of grandfather. If you, number one, realize the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, and if you'll submit to him, surrender to his control every single day, then he will control you and you can become what God wants you to be. <clears throat> You need to understand the Holy Spirit will do through you what you could never do on your own. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But what you need to do is pray for mercy and grace to be what God wants you to be. And when you do, you ask him to fill you. So it's you every day saying, Lord, I recognize that the problem in this marriage is me. When I come home at night, here's what I want. This is what I want. 
When I come home at night, I want my wife to come to the door and say, Hi, honey. I'm so glad you're home. Come in. Come in. I have dinner prepared for you. Sit down and anything you need, you, you just ask me. I'll take care of you because you're so wonderful. I want my children to run up to me and say, Father, 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 here's the remote. Watch what you want to watch. Father, can I get you something? Can I get you a cup of coffee? That's what I want. Daddy, let me get you your slippers. You deserve it because you earn so much money to take care of us. Thank you, Father. You say, why do you want that? Because I'm selfish and self-centered. That's what I want. That's what I want. And if you're truthful, that's what you want. You want to be served rather than serve. But the Bible tells us this, that our responsibility is to be servants. And, and the, the basic problem in the marriage is this, that we are selfish and self-centered. And the only way we can overcome that is by surrendering ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And when we do, then He can make us the person, the Christian, the God-like person that only He can make us into. You have to surrender to his control. And if, God, if you want God to work through you through this this weekend, then right now, why don't you say to the Lord, Lord, I admit to you, problems in the marriage are me. And help me be surrendered to you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you say to the Lord, Lord, right now, I surrender to you. I surrender totally to you. Help me to understand that the problems in my marriage are me. And if, if, if there's problems in my family, it's me. I surrender to you my pride. I surrender to you my selfishness. I surrender to you my self-centeredness. God, make me the person you want me to be. Would you surrender to him right now? As you do, this weekend we're going to talk about some tough things. We're going to talk about what it means to be a kingdom husband and a kingdom wife and raise kingdom kids how to surrender your children that have gotten married, all of those things. But the, the very first thing that's got to happen is you've got to say, Lord, I'm willing to admit my problems. Teach me. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I pray that